Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Friday, January 31st, the day before the Canucks are set to take on the New York Islanders in an early morning game on Saturday morning, the first of two straight morning games, which of course I talked all about on yesterday's show. Today I am joined uh, by a very special guest on the program here today. It is Patrick Johnston of the province and the Vancouver Sun over at Post Media doing uh, uh, their Canucks beat coverage, and uh, a pleasure to talk to Patrick. Uh, he loves to talk, and I love to talk as well. So this is a long one. Going to split it up uh, over two episodes this weekend. Uh, I hope you enjoy it, though. Patrick wrote about uh, uh, the Pavel Bure trade as the latest uh, retrospective look back at 50 years of Canucks hockey and Canucks stories uh, that the province has been doing over the course of this season. We started to talk about that article, but it sort of turned into a broader discussion about about um, kind of the, the the nature of the job that we do. There's a lot of journalism discussion in here, in addition to uh, a look back at, at Pavel Bure and, and the reporting of this story as well. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Here it is, my interview with Patrick Johnston. My guest today is the Canucks beat reporter for uh, the Vancouver province and uh, possibly the Vancouver Sun as well, Post Media, keeping it all under the umbrella. Uh, a guest that is a long time in the making. It's Patrick Johnston. Patrick, uh, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I really appreciate you doing this. Happy to be here, big guy. You got it right. Yes, both papers. Uh, uh, I feel like the folks at the truth these days, unfortunately. <laughs> the folks at home might not know, and you might not even be aware either, Patrick. This is a this is a podcast conversation that might be like eight years in the making at this point. Somehow, you and I have never made it happen before. But I do remember working up north uh, in Chetwind at the yeah. time and getting a DM from you out of the blue one night that just was one word: podcast question mark. <laughs> and then we never did it. We we never did it, but I do wonder sometimes about the alternate reality. You know, uh, <laughs> who knows how much better my life would be if we had done that, uh, given where you are now. Or perhaps I would drag you down. Who knows how much worse you would be off. Oh, give yourself some credit, buddy. <laughs> I'm sure I had a good reason to think about it. No, it's funny. I mean, it, 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 it all kind of seems like a long-ago blur, some of this stuff, and it's funny to bring that up. I mean, I, I, I actually now I, I do remember kind of broaching the subject, and then I do remember, I don't know, it just never seemed to happen. Well, the, but, I, uh, I lived so far away, I felt like the logistics yeah. of it weren't going to... It's not like today where you have, you know, Skype or Google Hangout or all these different ways to record remotely. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, that, I mean, that's pro- probably why it never really came together. But, yeah. I mean, think of how different the Canucks discourse might be if you and I had been just a powerhouse <laughs> duo for the last eight years. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, we're here now, uh, and I'm pleased to have you with me today. You, you uh, have It's not just, you know, I brought you on to talk about the article that came out today, but it's yeah. really the yeah. entire series that you guys have been writing all season long. Right. It's the Canucks 50th anniversary seri- season, of course, and with that comes a retrospective, as it feels like the entire province staff has just yeah. kind of called dibs on stories here and there as you've worked your way from the inception of the franchise to uh, you're in the mid to late 90s at the moment, and today's article dealt with uh, the Pavel Bure trade to the Florida Panthers. Right. Before we talk about that one specifically, um, 
What's this been like for you, just the entire process of kind of diving back into the archives and, and going through these stories that, uh, you know, probably for the most part, I would imagine, some of which went down years and years before you were even born? It's been very, very fun. Um, you know, I mean, especially now, let's be honest, because, uh, yeah, that Beret story kind of locked, that closed down the 90s. Um, you know, we had a bit of a debate about how to handle the Sedins, uh, because, of course, they're coming up, but their draft obviously being actually the last major moment uh, for the uh, for the Canucks in the 90s. But, uh, no, the Beret one was, uh, you know, I mean, brought me into, you know, right into the middle of, of my own kind of, Fan experience. It was funny. I, it, it, people have asked me about this a few times, you know, because of course, grew up in Vancouver, and hard to avoid the fact that you know I was a, I, I grew up a Canucks fan. Now, you know, I'm a journalist, and you try to set yourself apart from that. And, and obviously, uh, you know, you know, it's better when the team wins. It's it's uh, the stories are a bit more fun to write, but uh, you, you do set yourself a bit apart, and you try to tell the stories as best you can, and give a give a you know, the unvarnished, unbiased opinion as best you can with, you know, acknowledging the fact that you are forever going to be, you know, influenced by unconscious stuff. But yeah, it's been really fun. I mean, the other day, you know, putting together this where I didn't get, wasn't able to get Pavel. Pavel is a bit of elusive, uh, elusive character, but uh, tried a couple different ways. Never, uh, never really got anywhere with that. But getting like a guy like Ed Jovanovsky, who, you know, let's be honest, when I was, uh, you know, a young guy in my 20s was one of the stars on this team and a guy that you got excited about, uh, you know, from a fan standpoint. And, you know, like I said, you try to kind of, uh, you try to kind of, you know, sit sit back and, and, and be a bit impartial. But, you know, deep down inside, you're going, wow, this is, I'm, I'm talking to Ed Jonoski. I, I I've had Joe Noski's phone number, you know, like <laughs> it's kind of funny how that goes. And, and it was, you know, I got to talk to Brett Hedekin part of the story, which is really neat. He was always, a, you know, a fan of his enjoyed the way he played the game and, and, you know, he's in the media too now. So that kind of had that extra angle on it. It's just been a fun experience. And, you know, the early stories were obviously really interesting to put together because, it, you know, there was stuff that you knew in the back of your head you know, I wrote a story about the the Canucks ownership and the um, you know the the transition from from Tom Scallon, who'd been the original owner in the in the from 1970, but then how the Griffiths became involved and obviously talking to Arthur Griffiths, who I talked to before, was a an interesting exercise because Arthur obviously knows lots about the history of the team, not just his own uh, family ownership. You know, so that was kind of a neat one. And then, of course, you start hearing from people, you know, guys like Tony Gallagher, who I talked to for this story, who obviously knows more than any, <laughs> perhaps anyone. And, you know, it just kind of goes on from there. It's been it's been a really fun uh, exercise from a, from a sort of a research standpoint. And it's also just been really fun to hear from fans and readers and their own recollections. Uh, maybe we can touch on it a little later, but I had a, a funny, I've had a funny email exchange from one, with one reader about... Uh, about Igor Larionov and the story I wrote there, and yeah, it, it's just been a really great, fun time, and it's it's you know it's great to hear from guys like you that uh, you know that you've been enjoying it as well. Yeah, man, uh, I'm glad to hear you talk about that thrill of like getting to interview some of these guys and, and having these yeah. phone numbers in your in your Rolodex. Uh, you know, I it's it's always a thrill for me as well, and you you can't really talk about it with anyone because if you like 
write a tweet about, hey, I have Kevin BX's phone number. Isn't that crazy? It's going to look very unprofessional yeah. and people will tisk tisk yeah. you. You have to act <laughs> like you've been there before. But, uh, yeah. you know, we are people. This There is a, a part of that that is thrilling on some level. You get into this business uh, for a reason, I think. So uh, happy well, to hear you mention that. It, well, but I think there's also, there's two, I, I'd say there are two other things about it. That's, you're like, wow, can you, it's sort of like, can you believe I've gotten to this point? Yes. And, and then, you know, so there, you know, there is a bit of, you know, let's be clear. I, I think I should be clear on this. I can't speak for you, but, I'll, so, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, there is also a professional responsibility to it. Um, you know, that they, that just as, you know, they're sort of trusting you to, to be, you know, fair and, and responsible in how you ask your questions. They're also trusting you to be fair and responsible in how you, how you, um, you know, handle their number yeah, and I've, what that means. <laughs> and, you know, and I think the other thing too about it is that you end up, um, you end up also sort of in this, in this spot where, you know, you you, you learn yourself as I kind of I touched a little bit on, but you end up realizing, you know what, in the end, you are in a, a new spot in your life and you know, this is the deal. This is how it works. And, and it isn't just about, um, you know, some of those sort of dreams and thoughts and, and excitement maybe you had as a, as a, as a young guy, you know, when you were just a fan, you know, and then also at the same time too, that, um, you know, this is the evolution of you as a journalist and, 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 uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's great. It's interesting. It's neat. You learn about a lot about yourself. You realize, you know, how things evolve. And then at the end of the day, you also realize most of these guys, they're just real people, yeah. you know? <laughs> you know, Ed Jovanovsky, the first thing we talked about, you know, he, he was coming out of the doctor's office and, jo you know, he was joking, but, you know, he just, and he just, you know, had his physical and he says, well, you know, I'm 20 pounds overweight. I said, boy, isn't that a real statement for everybody? And he goes, absolutely. You know, I mean, he's obviously had a, a successful career as an athlete and, uh, and, uh, you know, we've paid lots of money and, and is still, a, you know, more wealthy than you or I will ever be. But, but you know, he is in many ways just like the rest of us. And uh, it, it, it's just, you know, it's part of the story. It's what makes it fun. Yeah, I, I want to be clear. I'm not texting these guys uh, out of the blue, yeah. random personal yeah, 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 stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unless yeah, it's yeah, Alex yeah. Ald. Alex and I actually have a relationship. Yeah. So that does oh, happen yeah, every yeah, so often. Yeah, and even yeah, then, I have yeah, to yeah. pinch myself that... I'm texting jokes with Alex Ald at, you know, 6 a.m. or whatever time we're chatting back and forth. Goalies, man. What is it? Hershey. Yeah, Hershey's my guy, you know, like goalies. What is it? Uh, but uh, I feel like, you know, you mentioned that this uh, Beret story is kind of right in the heart of your fandom when you were following this team yeah. coming up as a kid. And it, it seems like, you know, the more people that you talk to, because you did talk to, I think, as many different, uh, you know, it, actors within this story as you possibly mm -hmm. could uh the more it's uh, their voices and you have to you know just kind of thread the needle instead of uh, peppering in details that might be colored by your own experience right yeah you know and it, it is you know i mean it's the same as this you know doing a podcast right i mean you learn about you learn about how uh how you ask questions and you know it's an on it's a forever and ongoing process and trying to trying to learn how to, you know, draw things out from a subject that, uh, you know, especially if it's someone you've never talked to before, um, you know, you're, you're trying to show, you know, a, a sympathetic face. You're trying to sort of win a bit of trust and then hope that they just got their own story to tell. And, you know, some guys, some guys know that more instinctually than, than others might. And, 
you know, it it it, it was a fun thing. You know, Jovo's are always been, I think, a toxic guy, and and you know that came through. And you know, obviously, <laughs> you talk to a guy like Tony Gallagher, you you talk to uh, you know a guy like Kurt McLean. You know, they, these are guys that have things to say. They have stories and. Um, it is an interesting process. You you learn about how to kind of elicit responses and perhaps get them to take you a place you haven't been before. And, you know, as you said, you, you, sometimes, you, you know, it is funny. I was saying this to someone today, you know, you'll be talking to someone and it's so funny sometimes how people are, oh, you know, well, just make me sound like this. And you're like, well, well that's, not really, that's not really how it works. I need you to say it. And they said, well, you know, would it be like this? Like, yeah, yeah, it's like that. And you're like, no, but I need you to say it. You know, I can't just... You know, so, so you start realizing a little bit too about how people, also people, oh, they think themselves, and you know, you can obviously paraphrase ideas, and and you know, you put a premise in front of someone, and you know, if they agree with it, great, and you can write that, but you know, it is, and you know, it is useful to remember that the way the person tells their own story is always the best way to tell it, and and the more you, more details you have to work with, the more uh, you know, the more you know, the clay to work with, if you will, and. And, you know, I think at the same time, you know, it depends on the story. Obviously, when you're writing a history story, you're you're kind of letting people tell the story of themselves a little bit. I thought it was a bit funny. You know, we had, uh, I think it was Ed Willis or, uh, uh, about, um, you know, Marcus Navland and, um, you know, in his time in Vancouver. And, you know, the, there's this anecdote that Brian Burke likes to throw around about basically that, you know, he told me the same thing, that, that essentially, you know, he told Marcus, Marcus came into his office and he said, don't say it. You know, I have a rule. If someone asks me, to, you know, for a trade, I have to trade them. And, you know, basically convinced Marcus never to say that. And, you know, Marcus told Ed Willis, he goes, you know, I've heard, I've heard Ed say this a few times. And uh, I don't remember quite like that. Yeah, Bri- but, I think you know, Bri- Brian's told that story on the radio. I think that's like a yeah, favorite you know, story not, of his. It's not a, you know, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, he's not. I, I think the sort of conclusion is he's not completely making it up. <laughs> well, Brian Burke being full of bluster? I never. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, exactly. You know, you, you kind of have to feel a little bit around the edges on these kinds of things. And one of, as an example, one of the things he told me in the story was essentially uh, uh, about why, you know, it took till January for him to trade Pavel Burr. And he said, you know, and as he said, and I, I quoted him, he said, you know, at the end of the day, I told Pavel, if you sit out, um, you know, if you sit out, it's harder for me to trade you. If you play a couple months, people can see you're healthy, you're playing this, that, and the other. It's, I think it will be easy to trade trade you. It's going to take four uh, months for someone to get desperate enough to pull the trigger if you're not playing. Yeah, well, you know, and, and you know what? I kind of get that. You know, and so it was one of those ones where, you know, obviously I think people, if they've been reading my writing, they know that I've talked to Mike Gillis from time to time. So, you know, I kind of had thrown the, the question out to Mike, hey, would you be willing to talk? Unfortunately, you know, the window didn't really work. And, and I, you know, I think he was a bit more hesitant to talk about it just because, you know, it's still, I mean, he is, he is still a lawyer. The lawyers are careful with, you know, some of their responsibilities. And, you know, I kind of left the door open and said, hey, if you want to send me an email, I'll be more than happy to take on board what you have to say. But, you know, it didn't work out. So, you know, but a guy that knows Gillis just as, you know, or knows him better than I do would be Tony Gallagher, who's known Mike for a long time. And, you know, so I threw the story at Tony. I said, had you ever heard this? Because he was, you know, obviously covering the story very closely. He was a guy that flew out. In fact, when Beret, uh, you know, was traded and, and Beret flew to New York from Russia to go join the Panthers. And, and, and um, you know, Tony ended up actually being in, in New York 
alongside Gino Ojic with Pavel as he sort of Pavel got his American life kind of established, I guess. And, you know, I sort of threw this idea at Tony and Tony said, you know, to be honest, I've, I've never, I've never heard that. But, you know, he, you know, and he sort of, you know, as we said, maybe there's a bit of bluster and, and I, you know, and Tony and Brian Burke haven't always gotten along and I can't speak to their current relationship, but I know that it's been very testy at times, but I think he he sort of stood back and he said, well, you know, I guess that's part of it. But, you know, at the same time, Tony, Tony didn't, wasn't there. So, you know, we, I just sort of made a decision. He said, you know what, it's a good story. I'm going with it. It helps. Um, it's the best I can do. You know, if it's not a hundred percent accurate, I don't think it's to the point where it's going to be a huge issue. So, you know, let's kind of go with it. And I think, I think it makes it, it certainly makes it, there's some logical sense I get from it and, and let's, let's get it in there. And I'll certainly, I'm certainly going to make sure it's in Burke's word. It's not going to be anything I'm going to paraphrase. Yeah. Um, you know, in the end, it's it's. This is a story he told me, and I'm representing it as such, and I'm trying to frame it within a broader context of things. And you know, he was there, and I wasn't, and that's you know, this is trying. This is the usual story. You know, when, you know, when you're writing history, you're you're kind of relying on the people who were there, and you know, you kind of have to go with what you can dig out. You know, you can obviously sit back and look at the decisions that were made, and well, the decision that was made was that. Pebbleberry didn't get traded until January after sitting out for four months. So <laughs> that's pretty much what Brian Burke said he predicted would happen. Uh, you mentioned uh, bouncing things off Tony Gallagher, and, and one of the big uh, takeaways that uh, jumped out at me from the piece was Tony talking about, like you mentioned, going out to New York uh, with Pavel and and being picked up by uh, <laughs> uh, by Gino Ojic, who like you know drove them around like their personal chauffeur as Pavel just tells Tony stories for you know yeah. hours yeah. at a time. Like yeah. it's just. I mean, Tony is obviously an encyclopedia of knowledge about this franchise like we're never really going to see again. But I, like, part of that is how good he was as a writer. The other part of it is just like guys don't get access like that to players anymore. Like, I don't know that working as a beat writer covering this team on a day-in and day-out basis like you do now, Patrick, that you would ever have the opportunity to de- develop that kind of personal relationship with a star player on this team. No, it's pretty hard. I mean, it, it is interesting. It is interesting, sort of getting a sense of of you know who these guys are and what they pay attention to and what kind of gets fed to them. And you know, there's long stories about, say, a guy like Todd Bertuzzi, who you know was often and Ben Kuzma has often told me this, but you know, would often kind of get in his face about a story perhaps that Ben had written and. And and invariably Ben would go, Well, Bert, did you read it? And he'd go, No. <laughs> but he'd been told, you know, about this, that and the other and then you know, it was a little bit, you know, a little bit of chasing headlines, a little bit of this. And also, you know, to be honest, you know, sometimes I'm not I, I, I again, I'm not speaking for Ben. I'm only speaking for my own experience. And I, I haven't had a huge huge number of I, I haven't really had a true dust up even, but you know, there are there are times when, you know, you realize the way you phrase something maybe doesn't come across to a reader quite the same way. And and so you learn, obviously, a lot about language and what people interpret, and it's a reminder of, of you know, the, the sort of, um, you know, way you deliver the story is important as well. And, and, you know, I think I'm getting better at that, and I think I'm, 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 I'm sort of delivering notion. you know, I'm delivering a perspective. I think that, you know, I generally see that, uh, 
you know, I think I'm critical. I think I'm fair. Um, you know, obviously the team's winning, so it's, it's you know, everyone's mood's in a better better place. I think generally the response I, I see from players is that, you know, guys that are, you know, certainly aware, you know, like I said, some more than others, some more accurately than others about what you're writing. And I think they, they have a feeling that, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's fair and accurate. And, and, but at the same time, like you said, it, it is, you know, for one thing, it's a lot harder to establish those relationships than it used to be, you know, in the old days, um, I mean, the, the long ago old days, the, you know, some of the sports writers were making more money than the players. You know, that was, I mean, certainly the, you know, the, the classic seventies NBA era, you had writers that were making way more money than any of the players. And they of course were happy to go out for drinks because that meant they weren't paying for drinks themselves. <laughs> because, you know, sports illustrated had a notoriously huge expense account and things like that. And, and, you know, that's, you know, that's, first of all, you know, I, nobody has a budget for that anymore. And second of all, that, you know, there is some sort of, I, I think, I think we've gotten a little more hardline ethically and stuff like that. I think in the old days they were perhaps a little more loosey goosey with that stuff. But at the same time, also it, it is about what we call you know the term we call reporting, which means talking to people and finding out um, you know what what's inside you know what what are things to think about. Not every not every conversation has to be an interview or, or looking for quotes. And certainly you know that happens. And I I do think that's a process that I wish we could be a li- find a way to perhaps be a little more in general open about because it is one of those ones you do see people, you know, readers struggle with, you know, you write a story and then they're sort of like, well, whatever. And they just think, you know, that you're just writing off stuff off the top of your head. And the reality is, well, no, you've had conversations about stuff. And so you actually are trying to frame things based on, you know, a series of conversations you've had with people who are much closer to, you know, the center of, of, hockey thinking i guess is the best way to put it without outing those people as well you know without yeah you have to be careful you know you have to you have to be careful you have to be respectful of what they're saying you have to at the end of the day put your own understanding on it and at the end of the day you're also putting yourself on the line you know i mean that's the truth and you know you know what people don't want to believe it fine that's fair i mean that's you know it, it is let's be honest it is only sports it's not the end of the world but but you know it is one of those ones where you know, it is a, the idea of sort of you know media literacy is is a, is a struggle it's more than ever. I would say that you know, and I and I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that actually is, puts more expectation on us to be able to sort of prove our worth. But as you just alluded to, sometimes that's a real challenge. You you can't actually put all the cards on the table because you know there's people's jobs at stake or what have you. Um, yeah, you, but yeah, I mean, a guy, a guy like Tony, I mean, you know, Tony was at it for a long time. The Tony that you and I sort of think so fondly of was a guy that had already been doing it for 20, 30 years, you know, like he had a long established, you know, list of contacts, a long established, you know, sort of position in general, uh, on, on hockey and, you know, I think it is one of those ones where, you know, the more you see it, the more you see that things are often kind of the same and kind of predictable. And that, uh, you know, that that if you're able to, um, you know, if you, you know, once you see something, it probably is what you're expecting it to be. And, and you know, at the same time, I, mean, I, I, I you know, I, I'm not suggesting that I'm in any way, shape, or form anywhere close to that. I've only been doing hockey full-time for, you know, a season and a half. and 
obviously been, you know, paying attention on a media side to hockey for a lot longer than that and trying to gather what I could from colleagues that I've, you know, I still work with or, or, you know, used to work with and, and, you know, nuggets and threads that, you know, people, people have dropped on you over the years and you realize things that up to this, this, and this, and, you know, often changes your perspective. Um, you know, but there is, you know, at the end of the day, more often than not, it's the, it is the Occam's razor aspect. It's what's the simple answer. It's probably that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's more about learning what the universe looks like. And, you know, the hockey universe is a funny beast a, a lot of the time, as I often joke about, I think, pretty openly on Twitter. Yeah, well, you, you're saying basically give you 30 years and you'll be in the back of a cab <laughs> with Elias Pettersson while uh, yeah, you know, Michael Furlan yeah, drives know, you guys I, around. I, I don't know about, yeah, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> quite about that. But, uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and you know what? Everyone has their own approach. And, and I think, and I mean, I think time change too. I, I, you know, it's entirely, you know, I, I, I can't speak to what I might have been doing. I mean, there are, Tony was a very unique, uh, you know, he was a columnist, you know, his job was, was to deliver opinion. You know, my job is, uh, you know, obviously things have evolved. In the old days, I was just writing the straight-up stories. I was, you know, here's what's happened today, here's what happened yesterday, here's what so-and-so said about that. Yeah. You know, and, and keeping it pretty straightforward. You know, obviously, you still have to make connections, and you're still trying to dig for sources and find stories and find new things. I'm not necessarily always putting as much spin on it as, as a, as a, you know, a guy like Tony might be doing, or, you know, even a guy like Jason Botchford would do, because obviously we knew Botch was a pretty, you know, he really blended that line. And, but, you know, I think he also found a way, you know, he, he was, I mean, in so many ways, the race leader in this kind of stuff. And I think he was always pretty clear, <clears throat> you know, when he was giving opinion and, and when he was, you know, telling you a story. And, and uh, you know, I think we all try, I think we've all realized that's kind of where we're at in, in the climate. Yeah, uh, and you, you mentioned the idea, too, of people kind of pushing back on not wanting to believe things and, you know, yeah. n- not letting that bother you because you know that you are tapped in and that your info is coming from somewhere valuable. Uh, I think what gets lost when we remember Botch, because he's obviously uh, an incredible man uh, who has been, you know, uh, deified almost in this city yeah what gets lost when we remember him is how much pushback his writing and reporting did get constantly there were like ever there were so many people in this market who wanted to doubt basically every single thing that he said and like where it was coming from so on etc like i i shouldn't take it personal when someone doesn't believe whatever sort of inside scoop that i've got if you know there's people who wouldn't believe botch either you know yeah, and I think that I mean it is from our side of the table. You know, at the end of the day, that's also the job, right? I mean, yes. You're you're just trying. Listen, man, these are the facts, and you know, you, you, some facts that carry more weight than others. Some facts are more important than others, and you know, as long as you know your story is solid and, and fact based and is telling a story, then that's what matters, and you know, that's why we have jobs, and that's what we're expected to do. Uh, you know, and let's be honest, like botch, you know. <laughs> Botch wasn't perfect. You know, there were there were lots of things he did and said uh, in terms of his, you know, uh, engagement with people that I didn't agree with. But that was what he was doing. And, you know, I think in the end it was, it, it, it certainly was entertaining. And, and I think it was obviously one of a huge following. <laughs> and, you know, in its own way, it won him a huge amount of respect in many quarters. And, you know, at the end of the day, the people, you know, he got the respect from the people that he wanted the respect from, and, and that's what mattered. And, you know, I, I think that's the other one, too, is that at the end of the day, 
you know, you know, we want to have the respect of our peers. We want to have, you know, we want to be noticed. I think we want to be noticed by the bosses, have respect for our bosses to have sort of, uh, you know, they, they say you're doing the right thing. I back you a hundred percent. And I think, you know, for the most part, we all are fortunate to have that, uh, that kind of backing, but, uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I think I have that. I, I, I think I have that. I hope I have that. <laughs> I, I seem to get along with everybody I, I, I work and compete with, and and the, you know, no, like I said, nobody's nobody's ever really gotten truly mad at me. I've had I've had pushback on stuff, but that's you know a certain level. You know, when you get pushback, you're like, okay, I might I might be doing something right here because you know it's like you were saying with the fans you know people sometimes they just don't want to believe stuff and and sometimes that's because it's so shocking to their system it is a little bit of a natural instinct of how how no you know that can't be right because when you know your assumptions get blown up you know what do you have left you don't have a whole lot and uh you know so i think that's like you know that that's what drove botch so well that he was really constantly trying to shake your assumptions you know and i think that's I think that's what all of us are always trying to do is, yeah. is that we're trying to even challenge our own assumptions. What is true about this? Is this actually so? Is this exactly, you know, this person, you know, a little bit like I was saying in terms of putting together those history stories, you know, the story gets told and, you know, you have to treat it with a, with a tone of skepticism, but at a certain point you have to be, well, this is the person who's there and I kind of have to go with what they have to say. And then, you know, I have to compare with what was said. I mean, I, there are things that happen like, you know, I mean, one of the first things off the top that Jovo said to me was, you know, he was commenting on being traded to the Canucks and, you know, lands in Dallas, plays that night, plays in Nashville the next night, gets two games with Iron Mike. We didn't really touch on the fact that Mike was fired five days later. But <laughs> but one, one thing that, that Jovo mentioned is, well, you know, Mike played me 28, 29 minutes those nights. And, of course, that's, I think, the second season of real-time stats from the NHL. And, you know, I didn't call Jovo back because what's the point? But he actually only played 25 minutes. And, you know, I mean, it didn't really matter. Yeah. The point was he played on the first power, you know, or sorry, he played on the first the first uh, pairing with Matthias Olin. That's what mattered. You know, the way that he played 28 minutes or 26 minutes or 25 minutes was, was wholly immaterial. Um, but it's, you know, one of those funny moments where you go, okay, I did. I said, okay, well, I don't need to. It was a great line, but unfortunately it wasn't exactly accurate. So I didn't put it in the story because... In the end, I wanted the story to be correct, but but his idea that he was playing a ton, which was totally correct, was so. So I could still say that. I just couldn't use the exact detail. Well, that seems like as good a place as any to leave it for today. We will continue tomorrow with part two of this discussion on the Pavel Bure trade and uh, I guess the role of the press on some level as well. Hope you enjoyed it so far. It uh, will be coming to you tomorrow. I'll have a little bit of a breakdown as far as uh, tomorrow morning's game attached to the front end of it, but I think on Sunday I'm going to break down uh, both of the weekend games uh, together as part of one uh, you know, big big post gamer for the entire weekend because this stuff with Patrick was uh, was real good, and I want to make sure it gets to you uh, as quick as it can and in back to back episodes as well. So look for part two of this conversation tomorrow. Uh, until then, you can head on over to the iTunes Store or Apple Podcasts, I guess it's called now, to uh, leave me a rating or a review on the program if you're so inclined. Uh, I always enjoy it when people do that; it really helps the show uh, get a little boost in the iTunes algorithms, all that good stuff. Uh, until tomorrow, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.